Welcome to the podcast companion of Creative Commons Prayer, a site for multimedia inspiration you can reuse and remix. Today we have another uh, prayer talk. Uh, it's an interview with our first guest contributor. I got connected with Presbyterian Minister Tom Schumann through a Facebook group we both belong to. I saw these short scripture-inspired poems he was posting every day, and I thought, ah, here is a kindred spirit. And then I did some research and realized Tom has been at this work for quite a long time. So I reached out and invited him to share some poems with the site and to talk to me a little bit about his craft. So here's our conversation. And uh, I started out by asking Tom about his background. I'm a second career pastor in that I did stuff before going to seminary. I was a researcher for a uh, social services group that was doing a three-year study of child abuse. It was part of a national study that was done back in the mid-70s, I guess it was. Then I went into fundraising. I was a development officer for United Ways and then for a small college in East Tennessee before I went to seminary. I like to tell people that when I was at church camp, In the summer when I was 14, I clearly heard God's call to become a pastor, and I spent the next 25 years running as fast, far away as I could (laughs) until I just couldn't say no anymore. So I was 40 when I actually began serving as a pastor in churches, which I count as a real blessing because it was the experiences I had in the secular world that really, I think, prepared me the best for becoming a pastor. For instance, all the public speaking I had to do in the fundraising development world, I had no problem with standing up and giving a sermon or speaking. So many of my classmates were just terrified by that. And I, understandably. Yeah. uh, Let's see, I've been doing this for 31 years now. So uh, I'm I'm officially retired, but I continue to work part-time in transitional ministry, serving churches, usually smaller member churches. Mm-hmm. And uh, where are you where are you serving these days? I'm at a small church in Columbus, Ohio. Gotcha. And we moved here three years ago. Yeah. Okay. So um, so you've uh, so you had this um, you had these these careers in the in the secular world, and and you were a pastor for for quite some time, and you continue to do that. How did you get started in um, what I think on your website you refer to as your as your writing ministry? How did you how did you get into that, and how would you uh, describe it? Oh gosh, well I've always been interested in writing. In fact, forty some years ago I took a creative writing course, actually from a fellow who was a couple of years ahead of me at college. He was offering one. I really enjoyed that, and I kind of put it on the back burner. And then in the uh, spring of 2001, I had received a Lilly Endowment grant, which basically you can do anything you want for three months or three and a half months. And I, I put in in my application that I would like to spend a month at the Abbey of Gethsemane in Kentucky, where Thomas Merton had been. I wanted to go over and spend time with the Iona community and the Bizet community, and there are a couple other small communities over in Great Britain that I wanted to visit. And I figured they'll just laugh at that because, you know, having been in an academic setting, a sabbatical is where you go off and write a big, massive book or something. Well, surprise, surprise, they wrote back and said, here's the money. And and along the way, I just started writing down thoughts, images, 
I started to write some poetry, what I call poem prayers. And so I went, when I got back, made the transition back into uh, ministry again, producing the bulletin every week and the liturgy and that kind of stuff. I just found so much of the liturgy to be so dry and boring, mm-hmm. not very evocative, not very imaginative, if you will. Mm-hmm. So probably in about 2003, I started writing weekly liturgies. I've been a lectionary preacher the whole time for the last 31 years. And so, you know, I would try to come up with a liturgy out of those four passages. That started to develop, and I, I wanted to do it in as poetic a form as I could. Now, I know there's some people who don't consider the liturgies I write to be poetic because they don't rhyme. (laughs) You know, to me, it's poetry rather than prose. And so I started doing that, and people seemed to like that. And then one of the things that would happen is I'd be working on the liturgies, and this idea would pop in my head for a uh, poem prayer. And so what I started doing is I would do the liturgy, and then I would write a weekly poem, prayer, whatever you want to call it, that I would put on the very back of the bulletin. There'd be a liturgy that I'd write, and then on the back of the bulletin would be like a poetic reflection. Sometimes it had to do with what I said in the sermon, and other times it completely stood alone. Hmm. And so I started doing that. You know, I have been doing that now for 14 or 15 years now, I guess. Very cool. Um uh, so, so I have a couple follow-ups here. Um, so I'm an, I'm an Episcopal priest, you know, and similarities and differences between our traditions. Uh, I, I grew up worshiping quite often in a Presbyterian church because uh, most of my friends growing up were Presbyterian, and it was a, it was a great church. And my impression was that in the, in the Presbyterian tradition, there's a, there's a fair amount of flexibility about the words in the liturgy. Do I, do I have that right? Yes, yes, there is. What was it like for the people you were writing those liturgies for? You said they tended to like them, but what, um, especially maybe when you were making that transition, how did people respond? Did they like that it was something you had written? Was that strange for them? Well, I, it was strange to some of them, yeah. They were kind of uncomfortable with that. A lot of people did like it. One of the things I've always tried to do, because since I spent so much time in the church as a layperson before coming to a pastor, there seemed to be a lot of disconnect between what the prayers said and what the scriptures said and what the hymns said. There, there wasn't any weaving together. Well, this person did the prayer, this person did the sim- sermon, and someone else picked three hymns, and they just didn't seem to tie in together. And so one of the things I wanted to do was make sure everything tied in together. Yeah. Of course, as you know, there's all sorts of resources that if you've got these four passages on a particular Sunday, here's some good hymns or songs. That took care of that. But, you know, I wanted liturgy to people to be able to say, oh, the reason you wrote that was because it showed up in the psalm of the day or the gospel of the day, that kind of thing. And that was always appreciative. I also wanted, because I'm a, I'm a strong Trinitarian, both what I call the prayer of the day, uh, in the liturgy, as well as the great prayer of Thanksgiving, is always structured 99% of the time in a Trinitarian formula. Yeah, sort of uh, uh, pieces pieces acknowledging the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit separately. Right, and just kind of reminding people that that's one of our core beliefs. And also what it allowed me to do is begin to say, okay, how can you talk about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit in images and metaphors and language that speaks to people today? That's what I've tried 
you know tried to do over the years what is that like if 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 i'm if i'm if i'm looking at a sort of dusty old liturgy and thinking maybe this doesn't connect very much and and wanting to kind of bring some of those pieces of the old liturgy along but wanting to try to write something that sort of speaks to people in in their sort of language and place in life today how do i how do i do that well i can only tell you what I, how i do it <laughs> fair i uh, compare it to lectio divina in that I will sit down with a piece of paper because I still do a lot of things writing by hand and I'll take a eight by 11 piece of paper and divide it into four quadrants. And up in this corner is the, is the old Testament, that corner of the Psalm epistle and gospel. And then I read each passage and I start jotting down words or images or thoughts that come to mind for each of those. So there's your sort of divine reading part. Yeah, okay. You know, that kind of thing. Uh huh. And then I set it aside and just kind of let it stew for a while. And then I go back to it and look at it again. Sometimes I'll take a second piece of paper and I'll put three columns, God, Holy Spirit, Jesus, and out of those four passages, what are they saying that relates to each of those three persons? You know, and so then I begin to get some images, some thoughts, some words, some phrases. If I'm lucky, there'll be a phrase that will pop to mind that I can kind of weave throughout the whole liturgy. Mm. Other times it's like putting on a hair shirt and you, you know, you struggle to come up with a liturgy. You know, it's looking at a passage and thinking, all right, how do these words that are two or 3,000 years old speak to us today? For instance, this Sunday we'll be celebrating uh, All Saints Day, and the, there's a reading from Revelation uh, 7, I think it is, where it talks about the great multitude that's worshiping God. And the image that came to my mind was the crowds at the World Series games the last couple of nights. Oh, nice. Uh-huh. Here's this diverse crowd of people. They gather together. They come from all backgrounds and all places and all ages. And they're united in this one common focus, and that's on the ball game. To me, that's what Revelation is talking about. You've got this great multitude of folks from every age and every place and every time and every generation, and their one focus is on coming together and worshiping God. You could put in the liturgy or the prayer about, you know, like a crowd at the World Series game. We gather together to worship God, you know, that kind of thing. And you, and I think what that does for people, they say, oh, worshiping God can be as just as much fun and energetic uh, as going to a ball game. And so I think if we can do that with liturgy and prayers, you know, it begins to speak to people in a different way. Yeah. So, so again, it's sort of about expanding their ideas of what prayer and worship might, and, and presumably various theological ideas, what they, what those ideas actually are. Yeah. Right. And, and I think it helps people to begin to understand that theology is not something just professors and ministers talk about, but it's something they do every day of their lives. And mm-hmm. so how do they live that out? And, that, you know, how do they become living theologians? Yeah. One of the vows I take as a uh, Presbyterian pastor is to serve the people, uh, you know, with love and good. But, uh, and, but one of the words is imagination. Oh, wow. We can be some of the least imaginative people in the world. So, you know, how can we become more imaginative? How, how can we become more creative? Yeah, yeah. No, I really like that. And and and, the, and this trust that with a creative God who in whose image we are made, that creativity would be a would be a part of what it means to know God. 
Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The other thing I was wondering about in the beginning, you talked about uh, how this practice for you came out of this um, renewal experience where you were visiting these communities. What do you think in both in that context and in the context, I imagine, of, of serving a congregation? What do you think that sort of embeddedness in a community and being in conversation with a community does for your writing you know how do you notice your your belonging uh and your involvement in a community sort of coming out and what you create right i think just being part of a community and and listening to people listening to their stories and their their everyday lives uh what they do with their kids and their grandkids or you know the struggles they have i think it begins to make you try to make a connection with these words that are sacred and holy to us in this book. And how do those words relate to the stories and the words you're hearing from these people? And can you hear some, you know, commonalities? I I remember the first time that I was talking with uh, a woman in one of the churches about the struggles that she and her husband were having to be able to have a child. And it suddenly hit me, I'm talking with Hannah, These are not dry, old, dusty stories. These are stories about people we know. And so one of the things I try to remember is to keep telling people, when I was a kid, oh my gosh, the stories I heard about David and Moses and Mary and all these people, oh my gosh, they're such great saints and heroes and heroines of the Bible. And then you realize, no, they're just like you. They're as insecure and as selfish and gullible and as manipulative as as I can be at times. And so these stories are not about people that had no problems. I mean, the Bible is full of dysfunctional families and people, and yet that's who God chooses to bring about what God wants to ultimately accomplish. So maybe that says to me, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to get it right every time. And so what I do at the end of every service before I get a benediction is I say, Remember that you may be the only Jesus that someone will meet this week. Mm. Just to remind them there's, that there's going to be an opportunity somewhere along the way where they can just be kind and loving and caring. And maybe they'll be the listening ear that Jesus was for people or the touch that Jesus gave to people, you know. But just look for those opportunities to be grace embodied. In some ways, you know, your process of, of Lectio Divina, um, you know, calls up certain things for you. And so you've got, you've got a piece from the, the scripture itself. You've got a piece from you. You've got a piece from the people that you're in conversation with and, and, and you're sort of braiding them together. And what's going on in the world around us. Yeah. So then you begin to think, okay, what does scripture say for people like that who are going through that? Well, thanks, Tom. I have uh, a couple of um, little favors to ask here. I was wondering if uh, if you've got easy access to what you sent me, if you might be willing to read one of the Monday pieces. Okay. And it doesn't matter which one it is. Yeah, whatever one you whatever one you picks, the one I'll use for that day. All right. From Matthew fifteen eleven, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it is what comes out of the mouth that defiles. Of all the things we could speak out about, justice for refugees, children in poverty, epidemic racism, 
homeless veterans, and so much more, we're going to spend our time quibbling about who sells the best coffee, Kiri Eliasson. Hmm. Lovely. You want to say something about uh, how that poem prayer came to be? Well, this was when I was trying to do a series of daily readings over a year's time from a two-year lectionary that the Presbyterian Church offers, a daily lectionary. And this came up, and just that morning I had seen something on TV about, you know, people, they were flooding to Starbucks because of something new they were offering, and then two minutes later there was an ad from another coffee company and that kind of stuff, and I'm thinking, golly, with all the stuff that goes on in the world, Hmm. that's the most important thing is who has the best coffee. That's where that kind of thing comes from. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Um, and then uh, the last thing I want to do is just give you a, a chance to say anything you'd want to say about, you know, the, the, po- the posts will have um, links to, you know, your various collections and whatnot. Uh, is there anything you want to um, say by way of uh, introduction to, to some of that work if some people want to um, check your stuff out? Uh, well, I would hope people would be interested in going to some of the links and looking at, at the uh, blogs I write as well as maybe some of the other books and pieces that are available either through Amazon or through the Iona community over in Scotland. I I still am rather humbled and amazed that these words that I put together seem to say something to other people, but I just figure this is one of those situations where I just try to get out of God's way and uh, people ask me who my muse is and I simply say it's the Holy Spirit. Amen to that. Well, Tom, this is, it's been a real pleasure to um, get to hear a bit about your work, and uh, I appreciate your being game to do this. Well, I appreciate your contacting me, and I hope uh, it goes well. I certainly wish you well. Yeah, thank you, sir. Thanks for joining us today, and a huge thanks once again to Tom Schumann. Check out the show notes for links to his blogs and his collections available on Amazon. You can find more multimedia resources and subscribe to weekday morning emails at creativecommonsprayer.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest if you want an easy way to share or give some feedback. I'll be back soon with more episodes. And in the meantime, this is Kyle Oliver reminding you that every prayer is a remix.